This morning I want to try to tackle a challenging subject and that is the Christian's responsibility in the midst of an increasingly ugly and increasingly too long election process. You know, I've, the Great Britain has elections that by law can go no longer than six weeks, and I wish, I wish we would do that. I wish we would adopt that law. But it's been an ugly season, and I just think it's time for us to just have a moment together to think about what our response to this election is really to any election. I have good news. The first of the good news is, is that November 8th will come. And when that comes, that's election day, it will be over. And no matter what happens on that day, unless the Lord returns, which that would be the really good news, <laughs> on, on November 9th, the sun will still come up and the day will be hopefully bright and we can continue to return to normal, whatever normal means these days. Remember what's on our currency. I'm going to talk about that for a few weeks together. In God we trust. And today I want to talk about can we trust God and our own role in what it means to be Christian citizens in this land. So to frame our understanding, I first want to respond um, I want to look at how we're going to, we're supposed to respond to the issues of our day, but we're going to look at Jeremiah chapter 29. So if you'd find your Bibles, Jeremiah chapter 29, if you turn it open right to the middle, you'll probably find Psalms and then just turn right a little bit and you'll get to Jeremiah. Jeremiah 29. A lot of you have heard one verse from the book of Jeremiah that's a famous verse that a lot of you know or have heard and have Maybe you have it on your wall like I do. It's Jeremiah 29, verse 11. I've got this plaque, a real sweet couple from the church in Chicago where Laurie and I served had given me this plaque when we left and it's this verse from Jeremiah 29, 11. And it's one many of us really do know and it's a very hopeful, inspiring verse. The problem you'll see though is there's a lot that comes before this and it takes a while to get to this verse, but let me give you the end in mind. For I know the plans I have for you to give you a future and a hope. For I know the plans I have for you to give you a future and a hope. This sits right by my desk here and I look at it every day, but I also have to remember as we need to remember the 10 verses that came before it. That kind of verse is the kind of verse that gives you hope. And it's an encouraging verse. It's a lovely message to absorb. But here's the truth, though. To understand Jeremiah 29, you've got to read the previous verses. You've got to get to the verses about the people of God who went through a lot of pain before they got to the promise. They lived a lot of pain before they got to the promise. They lived a lot of pain because they brought it upon themselves. This is the truth of this text that we're going to read. The people of God, the Israelites, the people of Israel and Judah, God's own beloved chosen people, the people whom God loved in good times and in bad, had gone very much astray from God's intentions for them. And in Jeremiah... The prophet Jeremiah tells them what's going to happen if they don't amend their ways. 
And so the, the text begins with verse 1 of chapter 29. This is the text of the letter that the prophet Jeremiah sent from, Jer sent from Jerusalem to the surviving elders and to the priests, the prophets, and all the other people Nebuchadnezzar had carried into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. So there's a central bad character here, Nebuchadnezzar. There's a central bad place, Babylon. And then there's this cast of all of God's people, the people whom God had deeply chosen and deeply loved and deeply cared for, who had not heeded the warnings of the prophets that had come before. So we know the Israelites are in a bad way. Jeremiah had warned this and warned them about this in the first six chapters of his book. He took six chapters to describe for them how they were living contrary to God's will and God's ways. Six chapters of warning that disaster was coming to Israel because the people had forgotten and abandoned the worship of Yahweh God for the chief pagan god called Baal. They had abandoned God for a false god, a god who didn't even exist, a replica, a cheap imitation replica of the real God. And they had abandoned the real God for this bogus God. And the people of God, the beloved people of God, had not only become lax in their morality and in their ways, but they had become fully devoted to Baal. And Jeremiah warns them. And he warns them that what's happening to them is they had become greedy, they had become self-righteous, they had thought they had a, a, a monopoly on the love of God. They were not hospitable to the foreigners themselves. They were not offering the peace and blessing of God to the poor. They had forgotten God's will and God's ways. They had violated God's commands. They were non-truth tellers. They were consumed with their own possessions. They did not love others. And they paid a price for it. They paid a price. The price they paid was their exile to this place called Babylon. Now, Babylon was situated in what is in modern-day Iraq. That poor place has just never had it good. Today, in fact, Christians in Iraq are one of the most persecuted minorities in the world, and they're under tremendous pressure and assault. Many of their lives are being taken. But this was Babylon, ancient Iraq. This was Babylon of this time. And these Israelite people had now been abandoned, if you will, to this place of, of, of misery, really. They had been taken captive. They had their lives and their property had been plundered. And they were living in this hostile land. Now, Babylon, interestingly enough, was a, was a spectacular place. It was really quite beautiful. And the buildings that were there, the few that remain, are, they're still spectacular displays of architecture and style. It was a wealthy place. It was a place of, um, of many good things and good virtues in terms of, you know, prosperity. And, and um, people were thriving in this place. But it was also an, um, an evil place. It was a place where morality, virtues, uh, the things on the 
as God would see them were certainly not the way they ought to be. And here's where the people of God were. They were plundered and they were in this place, this moral mess called Babylon. But sadly and ironically, it was in the same kind of moral mess that they had created for themselves by not heeding God's own instructions. They lived in captivity. They lived under, under harsh treatment. And this was a major event in the history of God's people on this earth. Revelation, the book of Revelation even mentions Babylon along with Rome as the great abominations on earth. And the early Christians believed that this captivity, this captivity of the people was God's punishment for the sins of his people, the sins of idolatry, the sins of disobedience, the sins of not living out the truths of God's own perspective. Babylon was a bad place, but the fact that the Israelites were there was their own doing. So the Israelites were as guilty as the Babylonians because they had all equally violated the principles that God had laid out. So the first question to wrestle with for us today is, what did God have to say to the Israelites as they were living in this strange and seemingly God-forsaken land? What did, what did God have to say to them in that place? This is counterintuitive. This is a surprise. Listen to verses four through seven. This is what the Lord Almighty, the God of Israel, says to all who I carried into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. God was a party to this exile. God was dealing with his people in a way they had to be dealt with. To all I carried into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. He says to them, build houses and settle down. Plant gardens and eat what they produce. Marry and have sons and daughters. Increase in number there. Do not decrease. Also seek the peace and the prosperity of the city to which I have carried you into exile. Pray to the Lord, because if it prospers, you too will prosper. Then you get to verse 10. This is what the Lord says. When 70 years are completed for Babylon, I will come back to you and fulfill my gracious promise to bring you back to this place. Verse 11, for I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you and not harm you, plans to give you a hope and a future. When Laurie and I were raising children, imperfectly as parents, and I have to say imperfect children, though they were really fun, wonderful people. One of them is with us, so I just wanted to make that clear. <laughs> so when we're raising our children, occasionally we had this thing called time out. And of course, you think that's for the children to be disciplined, but it's actually for the parents to get some relief. But nevertheless, we would have occasionally time out. And the children would go to time out, and then all would sort of smooth out again some of the time. Imagine 70 years of time out. That's what the Israelites had. 70 years of time out. And God made a promise that when the 70 years is up, this will end. 
But there were a whole lot of people who lived during that time and in that season who were born and died within that 70-year period who never saw this promise. They never saw it, probably never believed it. They couldn't imagine that they would be freed from the captivity of the Babylonians. But it happened. God fulfilled his promise. God rescued his people. And in the midst of this long, long exile, God says some very counterintuitive things that are very important to hear this morning. God says some very counterintuitive things. The first thing he doesn't say is, what I want you to do is organize and fight the Babylonians. That's not what he said to do. He doesn't say, I want you to get mad and get even. What he does say in words that echo those words which will come from Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount, he says, what I want you to do is to pray for your enemies. I want you to pray for the city. No matter how wicked it is, be good citizens. Seek God, build houses, marry and bear children, live, and contribute to the life of all who live in this place. Not just yourselves, but to all who live in this place. As Christians, it's tempting to... Um, to blame other people for what's wrong with our country. It's really very tempting to do that. It's tempting for us to look at those who don't share our belief system and say, they're at fault. It's their fault we're in this mess. It's their fault things are so strident. It's their fault that things are not the way they should be. Well, the story of the Israelite captivity in Babylon says it a different way. It's our fault. It's our responsibility. It's our doing. So it's a tough question to have to wrestle with, but what if the problems of the modern age are not just the problems of those people who, in some of our opinions, have helped to the decline of our culture? It's our doing. We're the problem. We look at our culture and we think, oh, it's so superficial and it's decaying and all the values are, that we had and celebrated in the past are gone. Well, some of that's really true. But when we look at the moral compromises that we see in the world and when we fail to see the moral compromises we've made of our own, then we're not bearing the responsibility that we're called to bear for the change that needs to happen in this world. The Apostle Peter, pleading with the early Christians, he pleaded with them with these words, Dear friends, I urge you, as aliens and strangers in the world, and that's how he saw them, we're aliens and strangers in this world. This is not ultimately our home. To abstain from sinful desires which war against the soul, live such good lives among the pagans that though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day that he visits us. This is the, this is the promise. This is the truth. So the real renewal of our culture and of our country the real renewal of our culture and our country will never happen because we happen to elect the right people. It will never happen. 
Now, I'm going to go on to say that we have a responsibility as citizens to be engaged in the process. But let's not put our hope in princes. Let's put our hope in God. Real renewal of our culture will not simply come by electing the right people. Real renewal of our culture comes when God's people examine their lives, examine our own actions, and when we become loving and generous people, generous with our resources toward those who are in need, generous in our willingness to listen and humble in how we relate to the world, when we remember the lost, the last, the least, the little ones in this world, when we remember the poor, when we do something about those things, when we band together as the followers of God who band together for the good of those who are broken, when we do that, then we'll be delivered from our own exile. So work with me here for a moment. What if America is becoming a, another Babylon? a gilded paradise with lots of material wealth, but little to do with the soul. First of all, I want you to please hear me. I, I love this country. I, um, I love this country. I believe in the political process. When I was 27 years old, I ran for the state legislature. I kind of had my midlife crisis early and got it over with. And I served three terms in government. I believe in government. I think it's important. I still maintain friendships among those folks I worked with, and I, I think it's really, really valuable. Um, by the way, my first election, I, I won in a landslide. It was amazing. It was 38 votes. But anyway, <laughs> but I served, and I was glad I did so. And I believe Christians should vote. I believe we should be aware of the issues. I believe that we should vote biblical values. And I think we should do all that we can to express our opinions graciously. But there's too many, there are too many of us who don't seem to know how to express our opinions graciously. And if we don't express them graciously and listen to the other sides of whatever the questions are, if we don't do that, we will not get a hearing. We will never get the hearing we would want to get. We will never really be heard. I believe we should pray for our country, especially in an ugly election season. We should be the people of reason and of peace. That's our job to do. That's what we're called to do and to be. And if, if, and if this is the way it is, if the culture is the way it is, because we're living in another Babylon, I can't tell you what the future holds. I can't possibly know how God's plan fits for America with the destiny of humankind. But I know that God wants his people to be engaged in life, to build houses, to marry off daughters and sons, to raise children and grandchildren and live as if God holds the future because God does hold the future. Finally, in the midst of a truly uncivil time in our country's life, and I believe it really is magnified in an uncivil way more than any time I've ever seen it, I want to simply urge a different response from God's people. 
We can be firm in our convictions and we should be, but let's express them with charity. Let's listen to those who don't agree with us. Let's actually listen to those who don't agree with us and let's hear their opinions. Let's hear their point of view. Let's seek to understand it before we condemn it. When conflict emerges in our families and friends on political issues, let's not freeze or flee or fight. Let's actually listen to people and keep listening until you understand their position, even if you think they're wrong. Listen before we speak. I'm still very proud of our country. There's a lot right about it. But like you, I'm a citizen of two kingdoms. I'm a citizen of the United States, and probably 99% of you here are citizens of the United States. I'm also a citizen of the kingdom of God, a citizen of one country, a citizen of one kingdom. And when push comes to shove, if it's a choice between the kingdom of this earth or the kingdom of God, I'm called and you're called to choose the kingdom of God. That's the promise that's given to us. This election, frankly, can't come to an end too soon for me. And I'm gonna to go to the voting booth and there's a lot of things to vote on. And on a few of them, I'm gonna hold my nose and vote. That's how I feel, but I'm gonna do it. This election just can't end soon enough, but we do have a responsibility to express our opinions, to express our views, to go to the ballot box, to cast our vote. But it's not my place and it will never be my place to tell you how to vote. That's a, that's a decision you need to make through prayer and discernment and through your own convictions. If you feel like an exile in an angry and divided nation, you're not alone. You're probably an exile in an angry and violent nation. But Jeremiah 29:11 still applies. For I know the plans I have for you, plans to prosper you and to bless you and to give you a future. Would you pray with me? Oh God, forgive your people. For myself and for any other person for whom this applies, we, we've gone about our lives in ways that have ignored those that most needed our help and most needed our witness and most needed our support. We've been preoccupied with building our own little kingdoms and we've been preoccupied with thinking that somehow by power our ideas would be translated into public policy and it hasn't, it really hasn't worked. So God be with your people, be with your people throughout this country and be with our country in this election season. Knit us together. Help us not to ignore truths. Help us not to compromise essential values. But Lord, above all else, would you help us to learn to listen? Would you help us to calm down the shouting matches? Could we dwell together in peace? Could we live like the Israelites who are instructed in their own exile? 
Could we live in such a way that we could build houses, get married, have children, love on grandchildren, be together as the family of God, and at the same time work for the prosperity of the whole city, not just the part we like. Lord, may it be. We pray in Christ's name. Amen.